0: always why I say that's why the Ten Commandments just don't work because it, I mean, let's see I follow the seven and oh I forgot about
1: <laughs> hello and welcome to episode 99 of Rockstar CMO FM the M is for marketing and the F is the world you decide as so you're probably wondering does the world need another effing marketing podcast I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this weekly podcast this is my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career, from techie to CMO, and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge that my guests and I have picked up along the way. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn, and a proud member of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode is recorded on Friday the 28th of January. I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, Jeff Clark and I chat about the piece of marketing. Rebecca Beesman returns to chat about CSR, corporate social responsibility. And I wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar to be transported away with my friend Robert Rose for a cocktail and a thought for the week. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll
2: be right back. This work, we'll be right back. This work.
3: You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Hyler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy.
1: Right, on to our first segment. Jeff Clark is a former research director at Serious Decisions Forrester and principal strategic advisory here at Rockstar CMO. And this week, we continued with our discussion on marketing education inspired by a listener comment on LinkedIn. Hello, Jeff. Welcome back to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I am doing very well.
0: Doing very well. Lovely Shining. weather here in our cold, wintry, but sunny western nice. Massachusetts near the Berkshires. Nice. Yes.
1: We, that's agenda item number one now, isn't it? <laughs> it We're certainly is. It. <laughs> I
0: don't um, know what else yes. to
1: say. <laughs> <laughs> after, after, after a long period of grey, uh, we actually had one of those nice, bright blue skies, cold days today. So just to prove that it's not always grey in the UK, we actually had a nice day today. So we matched <laughs> Although I guess you were probably like ten degrees Fahrenheit, while we were five degrees centigrade. So it's pretty big difference.
0: Yes, we were, as a matter yes. of fact.
1: Yes. So this week, let's get on with it. Uh, I can see it in your face. Uh, you can't see the video. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, as I promised last week, uh, as we promised last week, uh, we have been inspired by a listener, Irene, called Kane. Who uh, referred to the seven P's in a comment to us on LinkedIn, uh, as we discussed marketing education, in and we're thir- in third in our series of talking about marketing education, aren't we, sir? Yes. Um, and the seven P's by Philip Kotler. So, Jeff, uh, we went. We seem to have gone from four P's to seven P's in our discussions, and. Um, and then I think we made reference to the fact whether the cool kids even recognize any of the peas anymore. So are they still <laughs> relevant? Um, what say you, Jeff? Wow!
0: I tell you, this is uh, this is going to be. I think this might be a little bit of a history lesson as well as <laughs> some some good tips on marketing. But um, I, isn't it,
1: that the point of this series? Is that, 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 well, this I, I think that education it is. Series. Is, is, is that?
0: is that, you know, everything that, that seems cool is like, Oh, well, mm. geez, somebody actually thought of that. Yeah. And we're, we're just in an evolution, you know, very natural mm-hmm. for us human beings to be in kind of this evolution of understanding marketing. And um, so, yes, Irene had referred back to Philip Coppler, yes. uh, uh you know, and I think, you know, I, th- I think, you know, the kind of the, the breakthrough he was thinking about was, you know, how we deliver customer value, good experiences And, but what he was building on was work that was done back in 1960, a gentleman by the name of E Jerome McCarthy, uh, talked about the four P's product, price, Mm. promotion and place. And, um, he received the American marketing associations trailblazer award. So back then he was blazing trails. And quite the up and coming kid.
3: He was
0: probably fairly far along in his career at that point. But, um, uh-huh. uh but the thing was, which I think as I, as I was digging into this, that that was interesting mm-hmm. about the, the evolution of this back in 1960 was that he was trying to get people out of thinking of marketing from a functional perspective. So, you know, right. And that's what we've been talking about education. You know, we think of the functions, you know, there's the product team and the brand team and the comms team and, you know, the web team and blah, blah, blah. And, 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 and it's, and it's one of the things that certainly, you know, I focused a lot in my advisory work is like, well, how do you, how do you raise everybody out of the silos to think about Mm. what you're trying to do more holistically? So this, you know, this book on the four P's was, you know, basically saying, the people managing the marketing function need to be thinking about Mm -hmm. all the components. So it's like, you know, we got our product. So what's the product, you know, what are, how are we going to price it? How are we going to promote it? Um, And then, you know, what's the, what's the place. And so, and, you know, it's Mm -hmm. often you think about it from a retail perspective, you know, where's the brick and mortar store, but obviously in all marketing, I mean, the place now is online and, you know, and so there's, you know, that certainly has a, has an aspect to it, but, you know, you got to think about all, all of these four things. And, you know, one of the examples I stumbled on, they were talking about, you know, um, jet ski rentals. So I've got a Mm -hmm. product, you know, I've got something that's interesting for people to, you know, for leisure to, you know, um, to, you know, take a ride in a jet ski. So I could price it such that I have maybe some discounts for Mm -hmm. people who are Taking a trip to my location, I've got the place where I got to put it, so I have to have the jet skis close near where somebody can actually use them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't stick yeah. them up on Hudson yeah. Bay in Canada because probably won't have any, many tips <laughs> on that. And um, and then that way really promote it. You know, I you know certainly yeah. send out emails, and I could do Instagram and Facebook, and you know, and yeah. you know, have people who've you know who've you know taking the trips. Put your pictures mm-hmm. up, tweet it out, you know. Yeah. So yeah. um so again, this, you know, if I'm trying to think about marketing holistically, I gotta get mm-hmm. beyond the, you know, my individual silos of the functions within a group
1: and think about how all this works together. Well, just on that, just astonishing, isn't it, how how much has changed in sixty years in that we're yeah. still trying to ourselves <laughs> out of <the> function. For <laughs> how, how much has not changed. And yeah. think more holistically. Wow. I mean, it must have been crazy times back then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so they were the basic um, four P's that everybody knows, put up price promotions in place. So how do we work our way up to seven?
0: Well, you know, what's, what was interesting in it was when I found out, uh, when I was dug into the four P's, I was like, well, I was hmm. thought there were five P's because, yeah. I, you know, I had, a, I think a couple of bosses who were, you know, Talking about the five P's of the marketing mix, and the fifth P was people. Wow. So, um, and and I, I actually I couldn't find an attribution to who who added people. You know, <laughs> but um, but you know the obvious part is that you know when you're providing a product uh, or service, you know that there is you know there's interaction. So salespeople, service people, customer mm-hmm. support um you know how do people appear or what are their mm-hmm. attitudes what are their you know and and this you know um i mean just think about you know you go to uh you go to for your little jet ski trip and if somebody just you know says, yeah. throws you the keys and say it's over there you know you're yeah. <laughs> feeling like what you know what's all this about am i going to enjoy this or at least i'm getting um yeah. off on the the wrong foot and and as i was as I was thinking through this, I I, I, re, I was reminded by the one time when I was hiring a uh, a, a brand manager um, at one of the companies I worked for in Boston area, and um, I ended up interviewing somebody who actually worked at a uh, previous worked at a grocery store, and and I and so I can't remember why I, I you know invited them in for an interview because I was I. I know initially it's like, well, geez, your experience is at a grocery store. We're a high tech company selling software, mm-hmm. and then, um, but what was interesting in the in the interview is that at this grocery store that she worked at, which is a big chain in the in the East Coast, um, and I won't mention the chain because I know these people get touchy about um, their brands, <laughs> is that she would just walk. She was walking me through how everything about the experience of somebody coming into the store. Mm-hmm. Working their way around, you know, selecting things, checking out, bagging—it's just like every everything had to be thought through because that was the brand yeah. experience. And yeah. so the checker, the bagger, the the guy working the deli counter, the and yeah. you know the the butcher, and all these different people—you know, yeah. the person you run into the aisles when you say, "I can't find the you know the hot peppers." Mm-hmm. It's like. It's like you have to think through all of that and that's why I think this this fifth P certainly was is is an important thing to consider. Um yeah. and um um uh, but excuse me, but the the thing that was the um I guess the breakthrough or whatever for Kotler was um adding- well, that's
1: just okay let 's just let 's just uh, rem- rem- remind what, where we are with the five p so we 're at product price promotions, place, and people, just in case people are singing along at home right <laughs> we can't and uh, we can 't attribute it uh the who added the fifth p so jeff you 're taking that one right so the great Jeff i 'll take Park it up with the fifth p <laughs> so so let 's work our way up to Kotler with his now with his seven does he start with the same five
0: he starts with the same five yeah uh-huh, cool. so 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 he's building. He's, you know, he's innovating by building on work that's happened mm-hmm. before, um, mm-hmm. you know, and again trying to trying to get people to think more, um, you know, more holistically about yeah. how they're managing the marketing mix. And, and of course, when when sometimes when people say the marketing mix, you think of basically your delivery channels or the promotion mm-hmm. aspects. You know, my marketing mix is my mix is my digital ads and my events and my social and da da da. Yeah. But this, in this case, the marketing mix is thinking of all of the components that go into the the, the mm-hmm. full picture of managing marketing. Yeah. So, as I, as, I, as I kind of alluded to earlier, is that I think that the big jump here is that as people became more uh, worried about providing a good customer experience, of which you mm-hmm. know, certainly the my example of the grocery store, they were worried about a good customer experience. Yeah. But but. You know, he he says, you know, we really need to add processes and and then processes that are that are touching the customer. So, you know, customer Mm -hmm. service process, you know, self-service technologies, you know, any kind of process Mm -hmm. design. And you certainly, you know, we're familiar with that with dealing with websites Mm -hmm. and content management systems. You know, what's the process by which we actually present something to a customer? And so, you know, whether it's an online or an offline experience, we have to think about. Mm. What's behind that engagement, um, which is a really, you know, for all types of businesses is a really challenging effort because, it's, mm-hmm. again, you're you're typically you're, you're the people who are doing this work are sitting in silos mm-hmm. and it's, it's only the CMO, you know, who maybe has a, you know a broad view. And if they don't have like a customer experience officer. Mm. Um, then you know the c m o is alone and trying to figure out how to how to make all mm. of these pieces work together mm-hmm. so process was the sixth one, and then the seventh one was physical evidence and as as I was going through this, I was thinking about like you know you're shopping for perfume or cologne or you know, yeah. it's like what's the it's like you know yeah. we actually can you know it, you're 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 experiencing the product and, and um, ah right what what was interesting about the
1: unboxing of, uh, absolutely all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and the thing is that whether you're got a tangible product or not, it is good to be thinking about what the physical evidence is. So, you know, like the, the example, Mm. um, that, that I saw for, um, you know, for a more of an abstract product, like insurance, I mean, you know, you, you sign the contract you know, but from there on, what happens? And so, if there's mm. some sort of um you know onboarding document, some brochure, mm. some something that you get, and I was was thinking about how many companies we would do, you know, a customer onboarding with a welcome kit, you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing that's like, oh, you know, now my post purchase experience uh, of something that is is abstract as software is actually mm-hmm. supported by this 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 physical element. And so, you know, I think that that, again, these two elements are all about touching, engaging the customer and making sure they're having a good experience and does it support your brand?
1: Right. But when I first saw these, because I I must admit, I mean, I'm relatively... Well, reddish, I suppose, on marketing <laughs> based on based on the number of books I own. <laughs> but I was not familiar with the seven Ps. I'll be honest with you. I was familiar with the four and the five. And when I was looking at this initially, I was wondering whether these were just a bit derivative of the existing Ps. You know, like pro, if you it, it, back in 1960, when you were talking about people, that was the way that that's the only customer experience touch point, right? Yeah. So really they were talking about customer experience in the language of the day, right. Which was predominantly about people. Um, so, but then I was, then I thought to myself, but really, I think, and I'll argue with myself is, I think these additional, t- these additional two P's reflect the times, don't they? That they are they do. complex. They do. And by the and way, so- I'm happy to let you argue with yourself. For a while, <laughs> well, Cause that I might also, be really entertaining. I also wonder <laughs> if, um, the, once you go beyond a certain number, trying to think of more words that start with p to match the argument is the problem well, yeah. right because really it's four p's customer experience <laughs> right it's 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 it, well it's five p's and a c really isn't it because what we're talking about <laughs> there is, is orchestrating your customer experience um and which well, is you... what we're really saying about physical evidence we're just talking about the experience of the product aren't we
0: yeah and, and, and so, I mean, you're, you're right on the button with the fact that these last two, the process and physical evidence is, is because so much, so much of the transactions have gone virtual yeah. or online. Yeah. So therefore, am I losing something, um, that implants, mm. a, a an aspect of my brand in the customer, you know, and I, I certainly yeah. would feel this little, you know, a lot of online ex- experiences is that, you know, yeah. you're just, you're, you're. You you don't see who the people are behind it. You lose touch. Mm. becomes very yeah. impersonal. It becomes something that, frankly, if I'm if I'm ticked off at them at some point, I'm just going to drop them because I don't have necessarily mm. a positive, yeah. you know, brand impression. It's just a transaction. Yeah. So so you got to do yeah. something that that really helps to build that. And and yeah. and to your other point is, um, I mean, I know from. You know, uh, from human psychology, I mean, it's very hard for us to remember anything over seven, which is <laughs> which is always why I say that's why the Ten Commandments just don't work. Because it, it's like, I followed, let's see, I followed the seven, and oh, I forgot about having the guy's wife or whatever that other one, I just don't remember what that was
1: and and so it's i think i i think i think i can remember about as many commandments as i could the seven piece that's right it's it's probably three well and (laughs) and there was
0: a um you know there i mean there was a uh, an article that irene had um uh you know sent us the link and and it's like Mm -hmm. and it and the people who wrote it it was the professional academy um Mm -hmm. i don't know what their professionals at other than following things like this but they Mm -hmm. asked the question is there an eighth p Oh my God! Really? Which was product? Which they postulated to be productivity and quality, and and I mean the thing is that you run into the other issue. I mean, there's one you can't remember a now. I'm going to forget the eighth P, but there's also you start to get into overlap where you see that well, you know, it's like so the the productivity and the quality. I mean, all it's all about delivering the product. So how is that different from the process? How is it different from the physical evidence? How's that different from the original thoughts about the product and its packaging itself yeah, yeah. or the pricing. Yeah. And, and yeah. um, so, so I, yeah, I think, I, th- I think we got to like stop at seven and, and the future marketing innovators of the world have got to yeah. work on a different alphabet for a different purpose. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like I was saying about the Kotler 7, it's, it felt feels to me like that whole P thing had been stretched too far at that point once yeah. you've got past four or five. But also it gets I think to be that, like
0: pea soup, which I mentioned was one of my
1: options yes, for lunch very today. nice. Yeah, very nice. It is pea soup, that's true. <laughs> but what I, but also, like, if you look at the basic four Ps. I mean, they're just, that's about a marketing mix, isn't it? It's about the basic elements you need to go to market with something, right? The five Ps of adding people, well, okay, yeah, great. We can add the people because obviously that's important as well. So you've got your product, you've got your price, you've got your promotions, how you're going to get out there, where are you going to place the products? You've got your people. Sounds about right, five Ps, I'm on board. But then processes, to me, is like, it's part of what you should be doing as marketing, anyway. Do you? Is it part of your marketing mix, or is it actually part of how you go to market? Like in in these in these seven Ps, nowhere here is there payroll, right? <laughs> but, we, <laughs> but you know you're going to need payroll. So, so how many fucking Ps are we going to list, right? So um, I, yeah, and and as as for that eighth productivity and quality, according to my notes here it's uh it's yeah. that's a step too it's far it's a it's a,
0: so it's, a it's a p too far i think yeah. i think you're arguing effectively that innovation might be best focused on consolidating yes YouTube, um, yes and uh um you know which which may happen i mean well these, actually, these things evolve you know some and somebody's going to come up with the five m's
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, using, <laughs>
0: using different well, words to describe the same well, thing well,
1: as we carry on with this series, uh, and I've I've interviewed a number of book authors on this very show that have that have a number of uh, excellent acronyms that didn't start with P. No, what are they called? Yeah, acronyms. They didn't they didn't st- they didn't they didn't contain any P's, some of them. Like grit from uh uh from uh, I'm gonna have to <laughs> I can't I can't carry on where I've forgotten the author's name of Christina who was on the show. Oh yeah.
0: That, and that was a, yeah, yeah that was very yeah. interesting. Yes. It yes. is. Um, so, you know, I, I think one of the things that is a good, um, good takeaway is that mm-hmm. is to, when you, when you hear these constructs and, you know, and, and they may be interesting because they become, you know, interesting talking points or whatever, mm-hmm. but, but seeing what stands the test of time. So I mm-hmm. think you're, you're, uh, your discussion or i say you're you're arguing against p p six and seven <laughs> is actually uh uh i think that shows that the the first five p's are are something yes. that stands the test of time you know yes. and we can we can fill with this a little bit but yeah. um, if you know if i if again if I'm building my marketing uh, you know uh, training enablement program as a cmo yeah. I would definitely put the five P's in there and mm. say, you know, and if you want to go and, and I, and I do think there is a case that with in the virtual world, these, these mm. other two, you know, have a, have a potential place, but yeah. that becomes, this becomes something to get everybody in your marketing
1: team on the same P page yes. about. Well, I, to get, getting on the same page, I, I'm going to have to focus on the P that is people, which is whenever I refer to a past guest I have to have this thing where the, my brain doesn't forget what their name was because that sway and the grit methodology was by Christine Del Vila. And uh, I, so give, I shall include a link to her stuff in the show notes. But that's also uh, what we're going to continue to talk about, right? Uh, in our continued Absolutely. series of marketing education is we'll look at some of these other models and see how they stack up against this, the classic and which so has been tinkered with by Kotler.
0: Listeners <laughs> should send in their, their favorite Make model sure. they want us to um,
1: dissect, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or their favorite book. Uh, yeah, whatever it is that floats their marketing boat and keeps them sane on a on a on a regular basis, and what they go back to and refer to. It would be great to hear some of that stuff, or anything else that you think we should be discussing, or if you agree, disagree, and think there should be eight Ps. Or seven or three, or it's all actually.
0: Then we bullshit. then we bring that's you on that. the show when you gotta prepare.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, so we've done the weather, we've done the four P's, the five P's, the seven P's, we've mentioned Irene, I've forgotten a guest name. So that's the agenda sorted out. One last thing, what's the track we're gonna end with, Jeff? Well, it
0: has to do with peas. Yes. So I like where um, this is going a already. Great tune from the black eyed peas uh pump it which nice. begins with P. So yep. I, I think that that's a great way to end this, this episode. And um, we'll come up with another letter for <laughs> the next time I'm
1: on. <laughs> I love it. And, uh, and that is also from 2009. So we've accelerated <laughs> through, into, through the years. To 2009. Into the not too past. <laughs> uh, Lord, Jeff. Uh, well, uh, I'll play out with black eyed peas pump it from 2009. And uh, will I see you next week, Jeff? Yep. Excellent. Well, we'll carry on with this, and I'll speak to you then. Cheers, buddy. Okay. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. (sighs) Thank you, Jeff. That was Pump It by the Black Eyed Peas from 2006. Look at us. A track from this century. Anyway, if you have a suggestion for a topic or a book or even a track, please let us know. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. And thank you, Irene, for your suggestion this week. Right, onto my guest. You may remember Rebecca Beesman, the Chief Marketing Officer at Reputation from episode 93. We had a fun conversation during which we discussed Rebecca's impressive marketing career through B2C and B2B tech, the rebranding of Reputation, and we touched on the social impact program she launched at RMS, a risk modeling software company. It was an important topic in an age of brand washing, and I wanted to know more. And this week, Rebecca agreed to come back and dig into it. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Rebecca. Welcome back to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you?
2: Good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well.
1: Thank you very much. And uh, for the listeners that didn't hear you, you were on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah. Uh, my name is Rebecca Beastman. I am Chief Marketing Officer for a B2B SaaS technology company called Reputation. Mm-hmm. I have spent 10 years in tech marketing. Um, before that, spent the first 10 years of my career in retail and CPG and sort of have switched back and forth between marketing functions and social impact functions throughout my career.
1: Yeah. And and it was a great conversation. I encourage people to go back and listen as well. And I think the reputation product, it was really interesting about the the your the way you went through your rebrand and, the, and your focus on reputation, which is kind of important to all of us. But one of the things that we talked about before we hit record, we were going to talk about um, CSR, one of your passions and areas of expertise, corporate social responsibility, but we didn't quite get time. So thank you for coming back and discussing that. So Why don't we start with the basics from your perspective? And I'm presuming most listeners know what CSR is, Corporate Social Responsibility. What do you think is a good CSR program?
2: Yeah, in my experience, companies that have a good CSR program is one that kind of goes beyond this broad aspirational mission. Mm -hmm. But it actually directly connects to the business model of the company. And that's the way that it's going to feel authentic and meaningful for all the stakeholders, not just your employees internally, but also for your customers or prospective customers.
1: Yeah, I, I, I like the way that we really quickly got to authentic there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's the key to all these things, isn't it? Um, yes. uh, but um, and it's and CSR has become a bit trendy lately. We're hearing a lot about that and some of the other acronyms around the same um, discipline. And you're not new to this. Tell us about your experience. That I mean, we talked about when you were at risk management software, when you were last on the show and that you created a CSR program there.
2: So tell us your experience about that. Absolutely, you know they took a pretty unique approach to social impact and CSR. Mm-hmm. Uh, risk management software is a risk modeling software company, and so they basically sell their risk models on a software platform to large insurers, reinsurers, and financial institutions. Yeah. But what they quickly realized is that these risk models could have a lot of positive impact if they were able to open up new markets and offer these models to large global NGOs, Uh government organizations, and nonprofits. So I was brought in to basically do business development work and open up those new verticals so that they could not only use their products solely for profit, but either give them pro bono or at a steep discount and also open up the business to new verticals. And that was really kind of the marriage of these two things, doing well by also doing good, is what made the program so Uh sticky yeah. Um, and really helped it grow over the years that I was there. So they had sort of a very unique approach to their social impact work.
1: That's really cool. So I like that expression, doing well as well as doing good. So, um, and, and I was going to ask you, what are the benefits of having a good CSR program? But it sounds like if it's absolutely wedded into your business, it actually both promote each other and then they,
2: they help each other. Absolutely. I mean, a good CSR program should absolutely provide opportunities for Mm -hmm. business development, for growth, for employee engagement, generating public goodwill. I mean, ultimately, that's what also results in higher shareholder value. And so people have this idea that corporate social responsibility and business outcomes are intrinsically separate from one another. But when done well, they can absolutely positively kind of affect and impact one another up and down the chain of a business and that takes takes a lot more thought it takes a lot more strategy and a lot more time to develop CSR programs that are like that Mm -hmm. um but it's it's possible and do you think that's where the benefits are when they're more deeply rooted into an organization
1: because otherwise isn't it just seen as a a thing a cost a bit of marketing it's on the side isn't it it's not core to to what you're doing as a business and that uh, you know it might be core to your beliefs but it's not core to what you're doing as a business
2: absolutely when it is siphoned off and mm-hmm. siloed as kind of its own separate program or it's just you know yeah. a donation matching program or an employee yeah. volunteering program there's nothing wrong with any mm-hmm. of those things but when that's all it is and it yeah. stops there the level of impact it's going to have in an organization is automatically right stifled right from the get-go right and did risk management software rms have that in place before you joined or was that
1: something that you generated for them
2: yeah yeah and and the way that we they did not have anything in place and so again we saw this synergy between the products and services that they were offering for profit to Mm -hmm. certain markets and being able to kind of extend that out open up new markets for them um And the way that we also were able to kind of bring in the core business value of what they did to the employees directly Mm -hmm. was that they had a lot of kind of scientists and engineers and risk modelers that had a ton of subject matter expertise. And so when we started opening up and working with nonprofits and NGOs, we were actually able to bring our subject matter experts on site to Haiti, to Brazil, to um, Nepal, to places that had... They were kind of catastrophe, vulnerable geographies where we had models at work anyway to bring them on the ground so that they could work side by side with these organizations that we were impacting with our technology. Again, it's just a more authentic, meaningful way to bring these programs back to the people who work at the company. But
1: it must have been awfully uh, fulfilling for the people in your team, right? That Probably, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know a huge amount about risk management software, but it's probably dry or dealing with you know, people in, 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 in New York downtown or, or in the yeah. financial district or something like that. And then you find yourself helping an NGO in a place like Brazil. That must be, must be part of the risk management software experience for
2: employees, right? Yes, and it was sort of became this aspirational program mm-hmm. that employees have to apply to every year. We created a really unique experience for employees every year and it became a recruiting and retention tool, mm-hmm. Um, employees and you know when we sought to build the program we knew that there would kind of be this positive halo effect on employees but we didn't really have an idea of how beneficial that would become until the program had been developed and going for a few years
1: right right and so when you were looking at the benefits of this it sounds like there were clear commercial benefits because you were opening up new markets um did you see a change in, in retention or did you measure it by like simply the number of people who were super interested in being on the program
2: Absolutely. Yeah. We measured application rates. Mm-hmm. Every exit interview we did, if there was any mention of the programs that we had. And I would say the qualitative and quantitative feedback that we got from right. the programs that we were launching had a huge impact on morale, retention, our ability to recruit top talent. And in today's market, things like that are more important than ever. So I would say that, That's you know, amazing. candidly, that was kind of a secondary consideration mm-hmm. for when we yeah. started these programs. But if CSR is done well and if your social impact programs are meaningful and deeply embedded into your business, you're going to get those halo effects all around the organization. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about, I mean, where were you based at risk management software? I mean, was there something
1: around the local market that made this work for you or do you think it's a it, it wouldn't matter where you were headquartered? It's something that everybody can do from that perspective.
2: Yeah, the programs we set up were global in nature, Mm -hmm. as were our offices. But it's interesting that you kind of talk about impact on local community because every company's CSR programs should look different. Mm -hmm. And every company has the ability to have meaningful social impact programs. But for some companies, just as you've said, if there is a direct tie with the local community based on the products and services that they're offering, there is yeah. absolutely an opportunity to get local right. and have that meaningful impact kind of on the ground where you're based. And there are a lot of companies today who do that really well. Right. And do you, do you think there's almost an obligation nowadays,
1: especially with the reputation that big tech has and, and, and these guys and uh, taxation and contributing to the community, mm-hmm. that larger organizations should take a look at? you know, the few miles around their headquarters and, and, and help help the folks there? Do you think that's more of a
2: sort of thing that consumers are starting to expect? I think there is absolutely an expectation mm-hmm. that yeah. all businesses not only have the obligation but the privilege to be yeah. able to give back to their local communities and that if these businesses are not making the communities where they sit better, mm-hmm. what is the point of yeah. funding? Business in such yeah. a way. So, yeah, I mean, consumers today are becoming so much more discerning about all of the spectrum of social yeah. impact programs, environmental sustainability, you know, everything from ESG to kind of local philanthropy. Yeah. um consumers today don't just expect it they expect it in a meaningful and again authentic way yeah
1: yeah absolutely i mean one of my daughters is very against me buying anything from amazon right which is <laughs> you know so for, for, from the things that she's she's heard around that organization i think people are getting a lot more sensitive to that um mm-hmm. but we you talked there about um we have both talked there about a little bit of an obligation and maybe people should look at this stuff do you think every brand every company needs to have a csr
2: program or at least consider one I think in some way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. every organization has the opportunity to have authentic social impact programs. And so yeah. my answer to that would be yes, with the big caveat and asterisk that not every social impact program or CSR program should look the same. There is yeah. no one size fits all. And so the the most difficult part about launching a CSR program is figuring out what CSR should mean mm-hmm. for your brand. Yes. Yeah. Easy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like when you're at risk management software, they were all in, but it might be something you start small in one of your offices and it's got work up to something like that. I mean, it sounds like a major undertaking. I mean, sending people to other countries
2: and stuff is not something everybody can, can can stand right. Yeah. No. And you know, grassroots having Mm -hmm. sort of employees grassroots start these programs. That's often how social impact programs get started, especially when you're in a business where it's not completely clear how the business model can align Mm -hmm. that programs. Oftentimes it's the employees themselves that are passionate, come up with ideas and then they kind of grow from there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And um, often, I mean, my, my question was, my next question was like, what's marketers role, which is an odd question because often CSI is just thrown into marketing and, and it isn't, it isn't embedded in, in the company as a whole, but, what would you say is the ideal role that marketing should be playing around a CSR program for the listeners? It's a great question.
2: You know, I don't think marketing should play a central role right. in the development and execution of social impact programs, to your point, because mm-hmm. greenwashing and all of these, people can sniff yeah. that out really yep. easily yeah. these days. I think marketing has a very specific role, which is to do what they do well. And mm-hmm. that's to, to distill the value that's mm-hmm. being deployed from all of these initiatives across the company and amplify that value where it's meaningful and authentic. And having that kind of filter to be able to distill and amplify the value of the activities that are already going on, which created authentically, that's really marketing's job anyway. And they Mm -hmm. should in their lane instead of marketing, kind of incepting these programs for marketing's sake, because that's the easiest way to appear in
1: authentic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So really, you would see a CSR program and the marketer's role the same as any product or service or anything the organization is doing. Our role is amplification and finding the right audience and engagement. It isn't to actually deliver the product or, or service, right?
2: That's right. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. and do, But do you think marketers have, have a particular skill set here? Why, why do CSR programs always wind up with marketers? I mean, is it just because we're people people? Or why why do you think it's It's always marketers that are looking after these programs?
2: You know, it is funny how that happens. I think intrinsically, people who are in marketing kind of understand the value mm-hmm. of having CSR and social impact programs. And I'm, you know, we can't deny that there's marketing value in mm. these programs. Mm -hmm. especially if they're done well and they're done right. And so, you know, I think marketers kind of intrinsically understand the business implications of having strong Mm -hmm. social programs. And to your point, I think marketers are people people. I think a lot of times they're often champions for these causes, you know, marketing, HR teams, those teams tend to be more focused on building out programs like this. Um, And then marketing teams are the ones to talk about it anyway. So often it ends up kind of sitting there, but I've seen it. I've been at companies where these programs have sat under the head of HR. They've sat under the head of brand and communications. They've sat under the business development team. Mm-hmm. I've seen it where they've sat under the kind of operations or strategy teams. Mm-hmm. So I think you're finding more and more that mm-hmm. these programs will sit under different arms of the organization, again, where it makes sense for right. that
1: company there's right. no one
2: that fits all.
1: Right, yeah, and probably us marketers are bored of talking about features and functions, so we just like something else to talk about, right? A great story. No, I'm I'm kidding. Great story, but because some, um, you know, the the interest outside work that a lot of our colleagues or even our management teams and CEOs have can be really interesting to our audience and our and our and our buyers, right? So, th- so these some of these are great stories to tell.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah,
1: and, and I mean, I was going to ask you about the heightened and skepticism against brands with the woke washing and greenwashing, but I think you've covered that. I think what what we're saying here is that this isn't a marketing function. That's when you get found out. It's actually when it's it's either authentically employee driven from the grassroots or it's something that's core of the mission for the C suite. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and so it goes beyond marketing words, and, I, and it was interesting because we had this conversation uh, when you were on the when you were on the podcast. It was off off record because we didn't get around to talking about it. But I was actually talk, talking to a CMO that I mentor about creating a CSR program, what their plans for it, and it gave him some decisions to make. They, and he was thinking, well, that if we take a particular path, say like we have a view about um, tobacco use or we have a, a, a view about recycling or whatever it is, he might need to make some decisions about the clients that he works with, that he chooses. And I actually read an article, I think it was in Ad Age or one of the marketing rags, about a similar thing where agencies were thinking about who they should work with. And I think uh, one of the uh, a Forrester or Gartner analysts posted about it on LinkedIn and I said, won't that be the other way around soon as well, where companies are going to choose whether to work with agencies based on that? So this whole ecosystem of CSR is, is, is amongst all, uh, sorry, it's a very long question on whether this is going to turn into a question or not. But you see what I mean?
2: It's, it's starting to become core, isn't it, in the way that, that we work? Absolutely. You know, making decisions about being intentional. Yeah. The way you manage your business responsibly, they can have all kinds of implications. There's mm. all kinds of downstream effects. And yeah. I've heard of companies that have fired entire customer segments. Yeah. They've divested from entire lines of businesses that have been profitable yeah. for them. And so this is not a small mm. undertaking or a kind of peripheral consideration to make around the business. If you mm. want to do CSR right. If you want to have meaningful social impact programs, Mm -hmm. you at some point have to decide how far you're going to take that. And there can absolutely be ramifications for the business that are major, not minor. And so what your mentee is grappling with is a really serious Mm -hmm. thing. And to your point, there's precedent for companies completely changing the way that they do business because they take it seriously.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And do you think, it, and you think as, as marketers, we also need to look at who we look to, to help us, the agencies that we use, the vendors that we use and take a look at their CSR programs and see if their, uh, if their values align with ours.
2: Yeah. You know, and this is something that's happened when I started out in retail at Gap Corporate. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked for a bit at the Gap Foundation. And so, you know, responsible supply chain oh, and, yeah. and that kind of vendor ecosystem and having mm-hmm. these conduct for the vendors that they use, that's something that's been around for a long time on the mm. retail, consumer, packaged goods side because supply chain is such an important part of yeah. their corporate responsibility programs. And so, I do think that now in B two B and kind of software mm. industries where there hasn't that hasn't been as common, that is becoming more mm. and more a consideration. Whereas before, that kind of vendor ecosystem or supply chain really wasn't thought about mm. in this.
1: Mm, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you've mentioned a couple of brands. Obviously, we've talked about risk management software, but you were behind their CSR program. And you mentioned the gap there. Um, what other examples do you think uh, are, of brands that are doing this well or companies that are doing this well? Where have you seen this implemented?
2: Yeah. You know, on the retail side, I think Patagonia is mm, just yeah. old standard for a company that yeah. takes social impact and CSR and mm. puts that above profit. They've shown yeah. that time and time again Um, on the tech side there's there are kind of smaller tech companies like Kiva and others that are Mm. really mission driven kind of core foundational the way they built their business was around mission so it is all kind of automatically authentic Um, you do have big tech who has programs that are kind of scaled and take it very seriously so Cisco Network Academy is one they've had that program for years it impacts thousands of people around the world Um, and so I think kind of different industries yeah. have their own take, again, on what it means to be yeah. kind of authentic and have it organically sit within the core business processes that are already in place.
1: Right. And, then, and I, this is an extra question that I didn't, uh, <laughs> didn't prepare, but I was just thinking about the fact that you work for Reputation, right? So, yeah. Um, do you see this coming through in your day job as well, that CSR is, a, is, an in, is, a, is an integral part of an organization's reputation? It comes through in the numbers that you
2: look at. Absolutely. And our products, I mean, we have products that do social media listening for our Mm -hmm. customers, PR monitoring for them. We work with the biggest brands in the world. So there's absolutely reputational risk that comes from supply chain issues, employee engagement, employee compensation issues that come from safety and health issues with some of our larger brands. We hear about these things all the time and often our tools are able to kind of pick up that crisis and the mm. sentiment around that crisis very quickly, so that brands really understand where they need to make those meaningful right. changes. Within right. Their yeah.
1: Place. Well, people aren't scared to share bad news on social, are they? So <laughs> no
2: <they're not. laughs> and, you know, for brands, it's becoming more imperative than ever mm. to make sure that they have the appropriate programs and processes yeah. in place to be able to manage it. Because to your point, you make a mistake and it's out there. Yeah, the absolutely. And so it's really about, it's not just compliance, it's not yeah. just crisis management, it's about doing the right thing before there's yeah. ever a crisis and yeah. shifting the paradigm for companies.
1: Yeah, no, I can really imagine that. Um, so uh, we're, we're coming up to time, but if um, if this has inspired a listener to create a CSR program, and speaking to you, I certainly feel inspired. Um, how do you start and how do you sell a CSR program to your management team aboard? And presume you needed to do that at RMS, so... Yeah. Where where should somebody start? They don't need to be a marketer. Anybody that's listening that thinks that their company could do good. Where do you start?
2: Yeah. CSR should not be disconnected mm-hmm. from business outcomes. Mm-hmm. If your CSR program is intrinsically linked mm-hmm. to your business outcomes, you know, increased revenue, opening up new markets, experimenting with new products or pricing models, even impl- improving um, employee retention and employee yeah. engagement. Those are all core metrics that a business cares about. Yeah. So if you can the programs that you're creating, not just to your business model, but to these core business metrics so that it's very aligned with the priorities of an executive team, of a mm-hmm. board, a management team, you will be able to execute these programs and have support and buy-in at the highest levels. Because again, there is no disconnection between business outcome and the programs that you're trying to create the programs that you're trying to create are fueling positive yeah, business yeah. and i think it's really making that connection and understanding that you're not going to have a problem selling this at any level
1: yeah. of your own. if you're positioning right i mean and it sounds to me like um, and i hadn't considered this before it sounds to me like it's like anything really we do as a marketing team is I mean, I always talk about, you, you had a similar thing you just mentioned, but I always talk about awareness, revenue, and trust. And if, if the thing you're, because it, it's the acronym is ART, so it sounds quite nice, but and marketers create ART. If you can't align the thing you want to do against awareness, revenue, and trust, a thing the C-suite will understand, then they're not going to get on board. And it sounds like CSR is exactly the same, right? You could be doing it for awareness. You could be doing mm-hmm. it for revenue. You could be doing to build brand trust. These are all good things,
2: but you need to, Make it clear in, when you when you have that conversation, speaking that language, right? And if the CSR program that you're implementing doesn't accomplish those mm. things, it's probably not the right program right. anyway. And so yes. let's be kind of a filter yeah. for you to say, wow, if I can't marry all of these activities that Absolutely. we're doing, and business outcomes, then it's probably not authentic. And it probably will be siphoned off to the side. Yeah. and not taken seriously anyway and that's not the kind of CSR program yeah, want yeah. I love
1: that and uh, I used to the words right out of my mouth there I was thinking exactly what you were saying there is that if you can't align with a CSR program with your core business it will not be authentic and it will look inauthentic because there's no way that you can run a, a garbage collection I don't know I'm gonna I can't think of an analogy but you, those two things whatever it is that you know that yeah. it needs to be key to, to what you're talking about otherwise otherwise do it you know employees should be encouraged to do that kind of stuff but maybe it's not your csr program that's right yes excellent what a nice note to end on thank you very much rebecca i think that's inspired me hope it inspires the listener and if people want to talk to you about csr or anything else where can they find you
2: yeah you can find me on linkedin rebecca beastman just look me
1: up and i'll include all your links in the show notes thanks very much rebecca i'll speak to you very soon (laughs) cheers (laughs) bye-bye Thank you, Rebecca. I really enjoyed that conversation. And I will, of course, include all of Rebecca's links in the show notes, which you can find at rockstarcmo.fm. And if you like this segment, please let her know. Right, it's Friday evening. Time to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, to be transported away with a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking?
3: Oh, hello, my friend. It's nice to see you in the bar. Um, You know, and it's, I have to say, it's beautiful here. Um, It's it's, it's rare for winter, but it's quiet. Mm -hmm. That's nice. I'm sure you're happy about that. I'm very Um, happy
1: when the bar is quiet. (laughs) My Saturdays go way better.
3: You know, (laughs) because the last thing you need, given what I understand your last week to be, is any (laughs) more... Uh, production or post-production challenges um, <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> of your of your wonderful podcast mm-hmm. um so we have a, a so here in Southern California yes it has been absolutely spectacular weather mm-hmm. and as it turns out in the rest of the us this coming weekend mm-hmm. um, in which your listeners are listening to this it is about to be, Ungodly winter like. Um, you know, oh, wow. the East Coast is going to get two feet of snow, and it's wow. so I thought we'd just, you know, throw that in their face. Uh, <laughs> do a, bit of, a bit of a summer drink, a Southern California drink here. Um, nice. And we call it uh, th- just for fun mm-hmm. uh, Tequila Mockingbird. I'm hoping you <laughs> see what I did there. Yeah. I do. It's called Tequila Mockingbird, um, uh-huh. which is uh, a very simple drink. Um, mm-hmm. It is very great in the summer. So when it's warm, this is not a, this is not your standard winter cocktail. Um, mm-hmm. It is tequila, of course. Yes. Um, your, uh, a nice reposado works best here, not an anejo, um, yes. with a little bit of muddled watermelon. And muddled watermelon is kind of a weird thing because you don't really muddle it. You just sort of crush it until it turns into a juice. Uh-huh. Um, and then a slice of jalapeno uh, you stick in there oh. just to add a little bit of spice to it. And put that over ice and you have yourself a very refreshing summer, sit by the pool uh, or the beach um, on a warm winter day here in Southern California.
1: Oh, very nice. Yeah, we're, we're due for some mild weather as well. So not quite pool weather, but we're due for some mild weather this, this weekend ourselves. Um, but so I shall attempt to make that drink from the ingredients on my desktop bar, as usual. And you'll be pleased to know that I've actually got an additional ingredient this week. Ah, um, what did you get? Olives.
3: <laughs> ah, olives. Okay. <laughs> Which goes not at all with a gin and tonic, but yeah, okay, fine. Yeah.
1: No, well, we've moved on now, haven't we? So let me let me start off with the um, the most English of uh, reposado tequilas. Oh, by the way, Tequila Mockingbird. Uh, my wife bought me a um, a cocktail book for Christmas called Tequila Mockingbird. So there you go. Uh, I, I think she's trying to encourage me to drink tequila as well. So two people in my life want me to up my, um, my up my cocktail game. Well, three if you include Dennis. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Let me let me get into this gin. So there we go. Some some nice. I'm gonna put that in there. Uh, what did you do? Did you put ice in that?
3: Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. have this, it's warm here in Southern California. You need a little uh, ice. a Cool drink here
1: a really beautiful
3: am, winter day, yeah.
1: I'm going to have to do something about this, dropping ice into this into this metal shaker, I'm not killing the listeners' ear rolls. Uh, so I've got some ice. I'm going to pour some gin upon that. I mean, English te- tequila. Uh, and then I have, what did you put in that?
3: Uh, you know, there's a little bit of Uh-oh. what we would, classically call a muddled watermelon but that's Ooh. you know i mean muddled is a little bit of a of an uh, overkill uh, statement for watermelon because all you really need to do is take a spoon and squish it until it turns into a juice um right. and then of course a, one slice eh, depending on your tolerance or two slices uh, of jalapeno to uh, jalapeno, will we'll right. that kick we'll all right really let, let give me give that a, a go
1: so the, the nice people that to the martini company have already done the muddling for me uh, and I've created something called um, uh, Extra driver Vermouth. I don't know if you're familiar uh, yes. with that.
3: Not that, but yes, it's fine. It's yeah, very I
1: similar, that's... I think, to um, melons in that it's a light color. A little whisker of that. And then uh, jalapenos. I can introduce my olives to that. So I have olives. I'm not going to put the olive in yet. What are you doing, man? You've got to stir it first.
2: God, dear. Anyway.
1: Did you make it very, very cold?
3: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll it's, start uh, off with
1: gins and tonics. It's much easier to make a gin and tonic on the radio. All right. Let me just. No.
2: It's- <laughs>
1: let me pour, pour this. Let me pour this into my <laughs> cocktail glass. Uh,
3: on the radio. Oh. Your boomer is showing, my friend. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, Boomer. <laughs> All right. Let me give that. Oh, no. Stick me olive in. Olive in. Right. Mmm. Oh, you can certainly taste that uh, English tequila. Wow. Yeah. That's jolly good. That's very nice. And
3: that's that's the most English of tequilas. Yes.
1: It's that's and that is uh, that's super for this lovely warm weather in California. And presumably, this is where you're going to whisk us away to. Bearing in mind, the rest of the world. Oh, is it's, we yes.
3: We're we'll we'll be here in my backyard uh, having oh, these cocktails. We will take the drive out through the Santa Monica Mountains mm-hmm. um, out to there's a little restaurant in Malibu that we will go sit at, which is right Mm -hmm. on the Malibu pier and they have amazing hamburgers. Um, And we'll have a delicious hamburger sitting on the pier, watching the surfers and Mm -hmm. chatting about all things that we chat about. Lovely. And
1: we'll be drinking
3: one of these. And what was it called? What's what the the drink is called tequila mockingbird? Yeah. Tequila, lovely, right, oh, so. that's for no other reason than I just love the pun. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, I love it too. And so, um, when uh, you just mentioned that we'd be sitting there eating these hamburgers, drinking these tequila mockingbirds, and watching the surfers, what would we be discussing this week?
3: Well, it, you know, it has to do with what we're producing as content these days, you know, mm-hmm. um. I was, you know, I was talking with this, uh, healthcare company and, you know, the interesting thing was there was five years ago, they started this thing that they wanted to launch. And it was basically a content platform, you know, whether you call it a blog or a digital resource center or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, like a little mini website, just call it that. (laughs) And with the, you know, with the help of a, you know, a few ad agency consultants, they launched this thing. And the idea was that it was going to become this repository of facts. Um, and the idea was, is that they were going to set up this digital library that could answer every question, very factually, very straightforward. No, you know, no muss, no fuss. Um, you know, almost in in that sort of cop-like, you know, you know, just the Mm -hmm. facts, ma'am kind of thing. Um... And they, and they literally said, we're going to let the facts speak for themselves, and we're going to win, as a result, this customer <laughs> retention battle because we'll be providing all of this uh, amazing knowledge. Mm. Um, this is the part where the narrator comes in and goes, it didn't work um
1: it sounds like a vendor that has all the features and thinks they are going to
3: win the feature function war like we're winning the knowledge war because our knowledge is truer (laughs) well that was the idea right we're winning the knowledge war right you know no one's fighting that (laughs) um and you know i mean look facts rarely speak for themselves um Mm -hmm. you know they are they're bashful that way you know facts are um you know, and, and I mean, you think about the last time you were in an argument with anyone, you know, um, whether it be a colleague, whether it be your boss, whether it be, you know, your spouse, whether it be your uh, friends on social media, wh- whoever it is. Um, think about the last time that you won the argument by simply <laughs> listing out facts. And the answer is never. You never did that. Um, yeah. Go. interestingly, yeah. Right. And interestingly, uh, you know, there's there's been research done on this. There's 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 research that uh, recently been done that call it the backfire effect, which Mm -hmm. is when you actually list out facts like that, that sort of support your point in sort of an evidentiary based way. It actually starts to increase the sort of uh, resistance or misperceptions among who it is you're arguing with. And I mean, you can see this happening on social media all the time, right? You know, we see it in culture all the time right now. And the thing is, you know, people start coming up with alternative facts or these are the facts that feel true to me. And the key is that, you know, we have to make people care about the facts. Um, And that's the that's the whole point of all of this stuff is that mm-hmm. in order to make anything worthwhile and really persuasive, you've got to not only show why, you know, and provide evidence that this is important, but you have to present it in a way that people care about it. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting. so as we get further into this sort of AI driven, algorithmic driven sort of list out, you know, all the information, um, and you know ingredients you know based sort of arguing and content assembly we have to increasingly think about how we're going to make people care you know how we and asking how we're going to make those people care so you know if if our only goal quite frankly is to give something you know give people something that they're going to either disagree with or agree with or sort of, you know, give them, you know, a piece of information that satisfies a query and not have them care because they're not going to take action and we don't care if they take action or whatever. Fine. Mm -hmm. A fact is all you need, right? You can become Wikipedia, Mm. but you know if you really want them to care you're going to have to wrap it in a story you're going to have to put it into something yeah. that people care about so you're going to have to put the care and feeding into how you assemble those facts into something that is more meaningful
2: mm-hmm. and
3: you know when i was talking to this this client i said you know that you know if you want this thing to be successful it can't just be a repository of information it has yeah. to be something that has a point of view and actually makes people care about what it is that you're informing them on. So that's, that's the thing that I think we're discussing.
1: Yeah. I love that. And I I also was having a conversation um, the other day for for an interview for this show. That's going to go out next week about um, exposing executives uh, to information from these automated curation tools. This was about competitive intelligence. And, that's the same sort of thing is if you expose people to data or to facts, I'm holding up my air quotes there that come from the machines and you haven't put that human overlay on it and told a story around it and that gets exposed to your executives. That's the same kind of thing, isn't it? Where,
3: yeah, you know, where it really uh, is.
1: Yeah. yeah. Where, where you know, it's,
3: it's sorry. <laughs> I was just gonna say where, you know, where you, you know, and, and this happens all the time, right? Yeah. Where, you know you're trying to be uh impartial mm. or you're trying to be research-based yeah. and you know so you you present all these this this list of figures yeah. and don't put any meaning behind it right yeah, yeah and 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 if there's no meaning behind it you know it doesn't matter it just doesn't yeah no. you know I used to, you know, was funny, and this is an internal communications thing. I used to see all the time clients would, you know, I would say, tell me about your measurement strategy. Tell me about your marketing measurement strategy. And they would say, oh, here it is. And they would send me, which Mm. was ostensibly a, you know, all the analytics tools like Google Analytics and Mm. Adobe Analytics. You know, they all have this ability to sort of, you know, export as PDF, right? Mm. And so... (laughs) You, they would literally export a bunch of reports out as a PDF, assemble it all into one document, and that was their measurement strategy. It's
1: like, yeah.
3: You know, without any without any meaning placed to all of those yeah. things, you're basically leaving it up to the audience to put meaning on the figures. Yeah. And guess what? It may not be what you think it is. Yeah. 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 And, and, and then there's no context either, is it,
1: with that? And all you need is, right. is somebody a couple of layers up up from you on the in the organization catching the wrong drift from some stats and your strategy could be just struggling to do you know all over the place can't it by that kind of thing
3: yeah (laughs) well that's exactly right you know so you know so you have to you have to not only add the context but you have to but you Mm -hmm. have to assign um, yeah. as a, as the relayer of those facts, you have to assign some level of meaning yeah. to them because that's what makes us care about them. Right. I mean, it's the, you know, it's the, there's the classic scene in, in the Simpsons, right. Where, you mm-hmm. know, Lisa comes running into Homer saying, trying to get him to, you know, care about, you know, helping her out at school yeah. and she's, you know, she yells at him cause he's not getting it, seemingly not getting it. And yeah. he's, she's like, you just don't understand. And he says, oh, honey, I understand. But just because I understand doesn't mean I care. You know? so, <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, exactly that. You know, yeah. and
3: that's yeah. it. Right. You know, yeah. in so many ways, we, you know, our CEO yeah. or our audience yeah. or our client or whoever it is, yeah. they understand. They just don't yeah. care. Yeah. Yeah yeah
1: and so but I mean I, I kind of took the conversation into a sort of measurement direction but from a content marketing direction what what was it and back to your back to the, the client that you were advising what was it that they saw then because the thing is is as content marketers we're always looking for the source of good research right so you know places like um, content marketing Institute places like that where we're looking to make a point about something and we're finding the stats that match our point of view right Did they sort of were they trying to build themselves as those people that people go to and quote because they had the facts no better than everybody else's or was it just they were telling a very dry story?
3: Well, there's a fairly interesting thing there because one of the challenges, and this has come up in a couple of other instances as well, where somebody will say to me something like, "Well, I'm a technical, you know, writer." My job is not to, you know, my job is only to write out the facts or write out the how to yeah. or the recipe or the ingredients yeah. or whatever it is and make it clear and make it yeah. understandable. Yeah. And I disagree with that. I, you know, I think the best technical documentation is technical. There's no doubt about that, you know, mm-hmm. and it is specific and it is clear and it is understandable, but it's also presented in a way that makes me care about the value of what I'm getting. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so many times what I've seen, and this was the case in this particular client example where they say, well, it's, you know, there's a difference. And so we're going to have different people, you know, and different skills and different roles Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. different purposes. So we're going to have this group over here and they're going to write pretty marketing copy and poetry and stories (laughs) and people care. And then these people over here, we're going to stick them in a dark basement and put them in front of a green screen and make them write technical documentation or facts Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and never the two shall meet. And I just think that's a mistake. I just think that's a a core mistake because I think both can learn from each other, right? Both of those skill sets can learn from one another. You know, it's like, it's why journalists in many cases make such great content marketers Mm -hmm. is because their job is to not only report what happened, but make you care about what happened. Mm. And, you know, and so that's the real magic these days. It's not just reporting the news, you know, it's reporting the news in a way that makes you care about the news.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And um, that, and that's, um, you know, that's our job, isn't it? In telling the story because we, you know, we have great products or we have great ideas and, and it's building that story around that.
3: Yeah. Well, that's it. Right. I mean, it's all about building a story and, you know, and I mean, in different, you know, over different cocktails, we can talk about, you know, how that (laughs) ladders up and, and, you know, and creates a hierarchy of messaging and stories and all those kinds of things and creating consistency there. But, but at the end of the day, at the most molecular level, what you're talking about is taking a bucket of facts, a bucket of, you know, information and turning it into a story right that's the that's the magic that's the sauce right that's the secret sauce of all of this is looking at your mug full of facts and going how do i stir this up into something that's actually quite tasty because otherwise nobody's going to care yeah yeah and then it doesn't matter it doesn't matter even if they understand it it doesn't matter
1: yeah no i love it and also when you're talking about technical documentation I mean, these days that's also part of the um the, the content that people consume when they're making a decision. Right. So you need
3: to have that consistent right. story all the way through. Well, so, that's right. Yeah. I mean, the first, you know, the, whenever you talk about story structure, yeah. you know, one of the, you know, it's, it's part of the hero's journey and it's part of so many other story structure yeah. methodologies. Yeah. The very first thing that you have to do is create an urgency
1: yeah,
3: and, and, you know, and for action, you know, so in any movie book, yeah. Magazine article, newspaper article, story, any story you're doing, the first thing you're trying to do is create an urgency for finishing and caring, right? Because yeah. if people don't care, they won't finish it. Yeah. And so when you're setting up your hero, whether you're setting up the story, you know, with your lead, whether you're setting up, you know, whatever it is you're doing, you're setting some sort of like, this is why you should keep reading. And this is why the hero needs to act. This is why you need to act. And that's the, you know, in any story that you're doing, you have to, you have to be able to persuade someone to take that action or change that belief or whatever, you know, you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And if all you do is list out the facts, you're not going to do that. Yeah.
1: Well, that's a brilliant thought. I love it. Thank you very much, for Robert. And where might people find other thoughts similar to this?
3: On my bug ridden new website. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is... Um, which thank you for pointing out a few of those things. I'm working on them in my copious amounts of spare time. Yeah. We've been sh- spritzing up as it were the, the new content website and trying to squash as many of the little link bugs, et cetera, you know, this is what it you was, do when you assign a content marketer to work in WordPress. is you get a bunch of mistakes, um, but <laughs> it was you know, one we're link working as up. fast as we can. But yeah, that's <laughs> where it will be at ContentAdvisory.net. Uh, it
1: was one link, <laughs> so it's perfectly fine. And um, if uh, spin, when yeah. people will spin the dial on the interwebs and they want to hear or talk to you about it, where will they find you? Here?
3: On the mistake-free social media networks, which would, of <laughs> course, be um, usually LinkedIn and Twitter is where I spend most of my time these days. Um, although I keep threatening to do a TikTok, um, and I'm going to try and do that. I may even try this weekend to do a couple of TikToks and, and launch them and see what the hell happens. But um, yeah, for now, LinkedIn and Twitter would be the best. Let me know when you're on TikTok, mate. I look forward to seeing that. And until... (laughs) Yeah, well, I don't know if I'm letting anybody know, but (laughs)
1: we'll see. Well, I tell you what, the good place to be to do a TikTok would be the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Will I see you again here next week?
3: Of course. uh, Yeah, special thing. Of course. How would I miss (laughs) it? It's episode 100. Yeah.
1: All right, mate. I'll see you then. Thank you, Robert. Maybe the facts can't speak for themselves. So that's a wrap on episode 99 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Martin podcast, part of the Martin Podcast Network. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track, and jiving along with us. I've been your host Ian Truscott thanks again to Jeff, Rebecca and Robert for sharing their insight please follow them, say hello and check out all the links we discussed in the show notes which you can find on your favourite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.fm where you can also find all our previous episodes so does the world need another effing marketing podcast? let us know we are rockstarcmo on LinkedIn or Twitter and please drop a rating or review in your favourite podcasting app or just keep listening I'm glad you're here Next week is episode 100, some small differences, as I'd like to interview Jeff and share with you his marketing background. He doesn't actually know that yet. I'll be learning about win-loss analysis with an expert, Ken Schwartz. I'm looking forward to that. And we celebrate 100 with Robert in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, have a great week. I hope you'll again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM.